It's episode 16 of the Keto for Women show. You're listening to the Keto for Women show, and I'm your host and nutritionist, Sean Miner. This show is designed to empower women to find their own expression of the keto diet to maximize their health and happiness. Now let's get started with today's episode. Hey, hey, ladies, and all the gents out there for those men that are listening in too. Hope you're all doing well. Welcome back to another episode of the Keto for Women show. Thanks, as always, for joining me. Love being here on the weekly for you all and to hopefully get to know you all a little bit better. And hopefully you're getting to know me quite a bit better as you're listening to me and and everything I've been through and all of the personal experiences I have and some of the knowledge I can pass on to you. Today, we're cracking down on some more listener questions yet again. I have such a long list, and quite honestly, I'm not someone that does well with lists or things that need my attention that I'm not responding to. I'm one of those people that if you have an iPhone, you get notifications, probably if you have any kind of phone at this point, you get notifications when you have emails or texts or phone calls or any sort of notification on any app. And I am the kind of person that cannot have any of those numbers. Like if there's a number next to any of those, I get a little stressed. I get a little worked up. So I'm definitely the kind of person that likes to have a nice clean inbox, likes to have all my texts read, and same goes with these questions. I'm I'm getting lots of great listener questions and I really, really want to get to them all. So in order to do so, we're going to have a few episodes here that are listener Q&A and I think that whether these are questions that resonate specifically with you or not, just learning about this overall is really important. If you are going to adopt this as a lifestyle, if you're going to start sharing your message, which I think we all have a responsibility to do, which we'll talk about in a second, then we need to learn a little bit more. So if you do have a friend that all of a sudden has a gallstone or goes to their doctor and is told they have high cholesterol or something like that, you might have enough knowledge to give them a more clear answer as to what they should be doing, if keto would be right for them, how should it look. And if you do or don't, regardless, you still know where you can send people. And that's where I want to talk about today. I get so many comments on this podcast and just women telling me how much they love it, how much it's changed their life. And you guys have absolutely no idea what that means to me to be someone that's sitting here in my apartment talking to a mic pretty darn regularly and to get that feedback that these words I'm speaking are touching you and changing your life and making you think a little bit differently about what you have going is so huge. I mean, that's why I'm doing this. That's the reason why I'm here. That's the reason why I have a podcast. That's the reason why I have a course. This stuff is really important to me too. It's really important that I do share this knowledge and try to change some of the mentalities that we have in the keto space specifically. That being said, my request back to you uh, would be to share this message, share the message that I am speaking, whether you do that just by your own knowledge or you have people 
that aren't currently listening, tune in, especially if there is a topic that would be something pretty close to their heart or their situation, what they have going on. I think that it is a good duty as a friend or a loved one to give them the information that's going to help them. And for many, many women out there, whether it's now or in the future, this information is going to help them. Getting into a keto space is going to be the right move for many people. And getting into a keto lifestyle that is manageable, sustainable, not hectic, not crazy, not stressful, all these things I'm kind of seeing that the keto diet can be for some people when you are following all these rules that we don't actually need to be following for most of the case, then I think it's really important to just start spreading the love, spreading the knowledge, getting more of your friends and family members involved in what we have going on here, making this more of a movement and a lifestyle that we can sustain. And it's up to you to do that. Uh, I would absolutely love, adore, appreciate any and all references you can give to help women find this show, find this balanced lifestyle, give it a try and not be scared or intimidated by all the other stuff they've read, just have them come to me. I can break it down a little bit. And um, I hope hope I'm doing that with this show. I will continue to try to do so. If you have a specific question, as always, email me at info at Keto for Women show. If you just want to connect, head over to Instagram. You can follow me personally at Sean Minor Health. You can follow the Fat Burning Female Project if that's something that you might be interested in in the future at Fat Burning Female. And then the same goes over at Facebook too. You can um, you can follow me at Sean Minor Health for just what I'm up to. And if you are interested in the Fat Burning Female, you can go to Fat Burning Female and get a little info about what we do over there. Just as a reminder for the Fat Burning Female Project and for those ladies that are looking to participate in November, yes, we're going to be going through Thanksgiving while doing this course, but I promise and I think that any of the ladies that are in the course will tell you it's not a big deal. You will totally get through Thanksgiving just fine. We'll all be in it together. No big deal. But if you want to be part of that and get into fat burning status, get off the My Fitness Pals, the dieting be more intuitive with it, learn what works for your body in particular and get on your version of keto, then head to bit.ly slash fatburningfemale. That's B-I-T dot L-Y slash fatburningfemale. And make sure you sign up for the email notification. That email notification is going to be the way that you know when the course enrollment is happening on November 1st. I'll let you know as soon as it opens that morning and you can make sure to grab yourself a spot so you don't miss out on the opportunity. I think that's it in the way of announcements. I don't have a whole lot new here in my world except getting ready to go on a much needed vacation to Belize. And don't worry, the podcast will still be happening while I'm there. And then I'll have hopefully some awesome keto stories to share when I get back or maybe non-keto stories. Maybe I'll just tell you about my trip. doesn't all have to be about keto, does it? Um I'm going with two friends that are actually also in the Fat Burning Female Project and who have 
made the transition to fat burner. So we'll have plenty of butter and ghee and coconut oil and bacon and eggs for the whole trip. So it won't be too much of a problem. It'll be great. One other quick thing, I will mention this as it gets a little bit closer, but if you are specifically a nutritional therapy practitioner or interested in that course, I will be sitting on a panel where we talk about the low-carb lifestyle at that conference. So if you will be there and are planning on going, then hopefully we can meet, but I'll talk about that more as it comes closer. So without further ado, let's jump into these questions so we can get a bunch of them in today. Now, this first one I really wanted to do right away in this episode, as I just mentioned, that we really need to start building this movement and helping each other do so, because this is going to be a really good conversation to direct people to that are maybe a little intimidated by keto, not sure what macros to do, not sure how to go about it without getting on my fitness pal and tracking every single bite. This is, I'm going to break this down. This is how I tell people to do the keto diet without having macros play a role. So let me read this question from Aaron and then we will discuss that. Aaron says, hi, Sean, I just found your podcast about three days ago and I think it's great. I have been eating keto for just over three months. I'm not testing, but I'm going to get a tester. Don't worry. I love the food and have had a great physical response. I've lost weight in inches. It's been awesome. I haven't always felt amazing though, so I'm always curious if I'm doing it right. I have a question and it's probably something I should have figured out three months ago. I have done online searches and I listened to other keto podcasts, but no one has broken this down in a simpler way. You have alluded to it in podcast three and hoping you can answer it here. How do I figure out my macros, especially without counting grams and measuring everything and looking it up? I just eat what I think is a lot of fat, some protein, and what I call superfluous carbs. I've heard and read that in general, my macros should be 75 fat, 20 protein, 5 carbs. Without measuring everything, how is this possible to figure out or get close to figuring out? I'm stumped. Please help. Thank you again for really helping the rest of us stumble along. I sent your podcast to my sister. I think it will really help her. She has been struggling for three months on keto, but so much of what you said, how it can shock the body, mental stress, hormones, etc. I think all that was really holding her back. To her credit, she has stuck with it and is slowly starting to feel better. Thanks for what you are doing. Love the podcast so far. Sincerely, Erin. Thanks, Erin, for the question. This is a great question. One I probably answer on a daily basis, I would assume. And really important because I every time I see and hear how many women are absolutely and utterly obsessed with tracking their food, it blows my mind and it makes me really sad. And I just want to clarify that because I don't want it to sound mean or like I'm better than anyone or anything like that. I was there. I was tracking. I've told you guys this many times now. I was tracking my food for years. Before there was apps, I was putting it into a little diary and carrying my little diary around with me everywhere, tracking calories, protein, grams, fat grams, carbohydrate grams, and trying to get it as low as possible. Uh, So I know what it's like to track your food, and I know what it's like to obsess about that and to really think that that's the best way for you to figure out what you should be eating. What I know now and why I find it sad is that that makes food something that it's not. It makes it 
something more than it actually is, which is just something that we need as humans to fuel our bodies, to fuel our lives, to keep us healthy and alive and well. That's what we need food for. However, we also can use food and we do often and we should use food as pleasure, as social, as something fun to do, as having a treat, whatever that may be for you. There is also a normal piece of life that is using food for enjoyment purposes too. When you are calculating every single bite and you know by looking at a plate of food how many calories, carbs, proteins, fat are on that plate, that's taking it to another level that we just don't need to do. And and again, making food this math equation and something that takes away the nourishment and the enjoyment out of it if you are calculating things up. Not only that, but I just don't see that as being a healthy lifestyle. I don't see that as being something that is not stressful to the body, something that is easy, fun, or should be done, especially with how much time we don't have as a society now. Why do you want to spend it on an app trying to figure out how much food you just ate. There are many better ways to be spending your time. And I'm very passionate about this. I'm very passionate at learning how to listen to your body, learning how to respond to your hunger cues, to your energy levels, to your menstrual cycles, just looking at everything that's happening in your body and being very aware of how you feel and what's going on. And then using that to determine how you should fuel yourself. Because when you're putting something into an app, you're also doing the exact same thing every day. And we don't live exactly the same way every day. There is no reason why you should be eating the exact same amount of calories every single day when one day you go for a three-mile jog and the next day you go lift weights and then the following day you rest. That doesn't equate to needing the same amount of energy. So that's why listening to your body and eating when you're hungry and stopping when you're satisfied is the ultimate way to really Feel, know you're fueling yourself properly, doing what you need to do for that day, ending this kind of diet mentality that really we just, I can tell you from personal experience, and this is why I'm so passionate about it, and this is why I do find it sad, is because there's such an awesome life outside of my fitness pal, outside of tracking your food, outside of worrying about that so much, that stress that comes with it that maybe you don't even realize is stressful. But I can tell you, I've seen so many women, I've seen it one-on-one. It is stressing out your body to worry that much about what you're what you're eating. And this is why I really, when I talk about doing the keto diet, I really don't like talking about the percentage of fat that you should be eating, the percentage of protein you should be eating, the percentage of carbs you should be eating, how many calories. I really don't want to talk about that. I want to talk about are you nourishing your body appropriately? Are you giving yourself enough food? And are you eating the ratio of macronutrients that works best for you? Now, this conversation is super hard to have in the keto space because there's really, unfortunately, because it is such a specific way of eating and we are looking for that ketone measurement to determine if you're in ketosis or not, 
that comes obviously with this like manipulation, I guess we can call it, of your food intake. So it's super hard to be like, oh, don't track your food, but then you still have to eat this way to get into ketosis. It's like the hardest conversation in the world to have. And this is why I, one of the main reasons why I created the Fat Burning Female Project is so that I could know for sure that you were getting into ketosis safely and effectively while fueling your body appropriately, but you don't have to go to your app or your phone to calculate those numbers and keep all this journaling and all that stuff. I've made it much, much simpler and much, much easier and much, much less stressful. And we only do it for four weeks as opposed to years and years where we're on these apps. We do it for four weeks and then we're off and we are on our way to intuitiveness with me helping you there. But if the class isn't something that you want to go through, then I can still give you some tools that you can use to not track, but still know how you're doing. And like I said, that I've said it a million times, I think, that blood ketone meter is going to be your best friend for this time. But let's go over some other things. Like Erin said, she's heard that you are supposed to be at 75% fat, 20% protein, and 5% carbs as your daily intake. This is a very general kind of way to get started keto, but there's a lot of people, women in particular, that don't do well with that ratio. So then it's obvious that it's not a one-size-fits-all thing. There are many people following that. Erin even mentioned that her sister, she's probably following close to that, and she's not doing so well. And the same thing with Erin. She is feeling really good and having some benefits, but she's also not always feeling great. So there may be some tweaking that needs to be done. And this is why just listening to these kind of ballooned rules about how to do a certain way of eating is not accurate because we're not all the same. What I need is not the same as what you need. And you need to figure that out for yourself, which I know I've talked about and we'll talk about again because it's super important. But let's first discuss how to get these ratios of a ketogenic diet without tracking. The first thing you need to do is determine whether you are going to eat three meals a day or four meals a day. And by four meals, I really just mean like three meals and a snack. Do you want a snack or do you not? Now, this is something that obviously in itself could change on a daily basis. Some days you might want a snack and be hungry at 3 p.m. when you still have some hours before dinner. Some days you won't and you just glide right through. So right there, there's already going to be a variance that happens on a day-to-day basis, which is totally cool. The only reason I want you to know that is because that's going to be your guideline for how much food, and in particular fat, is going to be on your plate in those meals. If you're having three meals a day, then four servings of fat at every meal is the absolute minimum. And I'll go through what a serving of fat means in just a second. If you're eating four meals a day, then three servings of fat at each of those sittings of food, the three meals plus a snack, needs to have at least three servings of fat in each meal. And these are absolute bare minimums, no less, if you want to get into ketosis. Many of you listening are going to need more of that at at least one meal. And you'll know because you won't be getting into ketosis and you won't be staying in ketosis. So if you are doing that, so we're counting it up to 12 servings of fat 
if you're doing 12 servings of fat as your general guideline and not getting into ketosis, you need to bump that up. It's as simple as that. Bump up the fat. Now, what this is what I mean by servings. Obviously, a tablespoon of any sort of oil or fat is going to be one serving. So if it's olive oil, coconut oil, MCT oil, one tablespoon is one serving. Um, There is one serving of fat in two eggs. There's one serving of fat in half an avocado. There's one serving of fat in two tablespoons of nut butter. If you're having fatty meat, you can count that, say, as half a serving. So it really doesn't need to be weighed, measured to this ultimate degree. Just get a feel for it. Like maybe spend a few days measuring out a tablespoon of olive oil that you're putting on your salad. Measure that out so that you know what it looks like, how it feels when you eat it. And then from there, you can know if that's enough fat by just pouring it on and just guesstimating. We don't need to be breaking out that tablespoon measure every single time we have a salad. Just get a feel for it and then you'll be good. Another note, and this is just a rule I made up, but I think it's really important, is that you cooking, let's say you are sauteing up some broccoli in a tablespoon of butter, then you can count that as half a fat, at most half a fat, because a lot of it stays in the pan. Some of it's going to evaporate. So count it as half. It's a really good rule and make up for it later on in your meal. Okay, so now we have the fat minimum established. So at minimum, basically what I'm telling you is 12 servings of fat a day. Now, if you are someone that fasts, okay, just get your 12 servings of fat at those two meals or one meal or however it's going to go and you'll be good. I really like the three or four meals a day to get that broken up, especially when you're first starting out and you don't know if fasting is right for you or not. Keep it at three meals a day in a snack or three bigger meals a day. Keep it there for a while and see how it goes, especially getting into ketosis and learning about your macros and all of the stuff that goes into finding out your version of keto. Start with that first before you just jump into fasting. Now, let's move on to protein. The easiest way for me to tell you how to figure out your protein is to just look at your the palm of your hand and have about that size of protein serving, maybe a little bit less, maybe cut off a corner of that. Have that as your protein portion in three of your meals which if you're someone that's going to have a snack, then that means that you're not going to be eating protein in your snack. Your snack is going to be very fat-based because we already said that that fourth meal is going to have three servings of fat at least. So obviously, we're going to be eating three scoops of fat basically is how it's going to go. Uh, You can obviously have a little bit of protein if you're having like a nut butter type snack. There's going to be a little bit of protein. There's going to be a little bit of carbs. No big deal. Not something we need to stress over. But in general, we're looking for that to really be a fat-based snack. So three of those meals are going to have a little less than that palm size portion of meat or protein, whatever you eat. That could be considered like two eggs and a couple strips of bacon. I would think that would be about palm size-ish if we were to squish it all up and put it into our palm. Again, you can see I'm very loose with it. 
It doesn't have to be super strict. Just kind of guess. It's totally cool. That looks to be about right. So that would be a great way to start. Again, once you've done that for a period of time with the amount of servings of fat we just talked about and you aren't getting into ketosis or you're not feeling well, this is where you start using your own judgment and your own findings to regulate that. Maybe you are someone that responds to higher protein levels, that you have an actual insulin response when you eat protein more so than others do. If that's the case, drop your protein down a little bit. And all that means is maybe cutting off another little corner of your palm-sized portions at each meal. That's all that means while also increasing the fat like we just talked about. So where you make that little shift. So you're not eating less food. You're just cutting down on the protein a tiny bit and increasing the fat. Moving on to carbs. So I find carbs to be the one that is hardest, obviously, to explain because that's the one that we really have to moderate the most in a ketogenic diet, but also because I have seen so many women coming out of this strict keto diet that are just totally afraid of carbs now, just completely afraid of carbs. They're probably eating well less than this 5% that is this magic number people have found out, and it's causing some really negative side effects. So the first thing is, let's release our carb fear. Let's just release it. If you are someone who is looking to get into ketosis, this is our general guideline. You are going to be getting your carbohydrate sources mainly from vegetables, like a nice, awesome plate of vegetables at at least three of those meals. So we want three of your meals to have at least two servings of vegetables at each meal. So that's six servings of vegetables throughout the day total. That's pretty easy, right? They're mainly obviously going to come from low-carbohydrate veggie sources like broccoli and cauliflower and leafy greens and zucchini, those kinds of vegetables. However, if on occasion you want to have one of those servings be a starchier vegetable like a squash or a sweet potato, beets, carrots, whatever, you can have even more than one serving if you really want. If you want some of those on occasion to be a slightly higher carb level, go right ahead. You will do nothing but feel amazing, quite honestly. You will be just fine. Those veggies, yeah, they have a teeny bit more carbs, but they also have tons of awesome nutrients. So I'm cool with that for sure. You also will be getting carbs by having nuts. So if you're someone that likes nut butters or just a handful of nuts here or there. Those have carbohydrates. Avocados have carbohydrates. Those are going to be your main sources of carbs for now while you are working on getting into ketosis and get this nice staple level where you feel really good. Keep it at that. Do all those veggies. Yes, six servings of veggies a day. Got to do it. We need nutrient density in this version of ketosis. So we're eating them. We're eating our veggies for sure. And you're putting lots of fat on it. So it's all good. You will love this version of keto. Again, we are using that blood ketone meter to determine if this is working for us. Now, as far as the tinkering goes, if you truly are getting these uh, servings of veggies in and maybe some avocado and some nuts, and those are your carbohydrate sources, maybe some 
super dark chocolate here and there is another carb source, which I, it's probably my favorite carb source out there. If you are doing that, then you're not going to really have to tinker much with your carb sources to get you into ketosis. Stick with those carbs. But like I said, do that little alteration with the fats, increase the fats and decrease the protein a tiny bit. That is what you need to do. We don't need to reduce our vegetables. Reducing your vegetables is what then gets us into trouble because all of a sudden we're super low in nutrients and we're starting to feel the effects of that. Our veggies are so low in carb. You're fine. You're just going to be great with that. We have the tinkering we can do with our increasing our fats and decreasing our protein a tad. And then, like I've mentioned in past episodes, once you're in ketosis, you've been doing this for a while, this general outline seems to be going really well for you. Then you have the ability to find out more about what works for you when you can add in a sweet potato and how much it should be. Uh, If you can have a glass of wine here or there, if you do need more protein or less protein, if you do need more fat and less fat, all by just using that ketone meter and determining when you are in ketosis and how deep and how you feel and how everything goes. There's so many ways that you can tap into how you feel and are doing and can do this without touching an app to track your food. Isn't that so cool? I hope that makes sense. I also hope that if you know someone that wants to try keto, send them to this episode and have them listen to that and start there before getting them involved in this, we can only eat 20 grams of carbs rule. We have to be 75, 25 for our macros. Just let's start here and see what happens. Let's start with these less restrictive rules and see what happens. Moving on to a question from Stephanie about gut health. I would love to learn more about how keto affects digestive issues. I feel like I'm constantly hearing about the benefits of keto for things like hormone imbalance, inflammation, brain frog, etc., but I haven't heard much about whether it helps with digestive issues. My two biggest health challenges currently are digestive issues, which I just recently tested positive for SIBO, and we're wondering if I might also have candida as well, so I'll be testing for that, and extreme fatigue. Keto is very appealing to me to help with my fatigue, as I've heard it is great for providing your body with energy. Could you tell me if keto might be helpful for dealing with SIBO and candida? What effect, if any, does it have on your gut? Do the healing benefits of ketones, which pretty much sound amazing based on everything I've learned, help heal your gut as well? Stephanie. So if you're someone like Stephanie who has either tested positive for SIBO or candida, maybe a bacterial overgrowth in your gut, maybe you just have a bacterial imbalance, these are all things that you would need to be tested to know if you had, and you'd probably have to do that through a functional medicine practitioner. Uh, Instead of going to your traditional doctor, they may or may not run these tests for you. You'd have to kind of know that information first. Once you know that information, then if you are someone that has tested for any of these things, keto is going to be a really great option for you. First of all, for those that don't know what any of this means, SIBO stands for small intestinal bacterial overgrowth. It is basically where you have an overgrowth of basically any bacteria. It could even be good bacteria. It just has gotten into the wrong place. We don't hold a lot of bacteria in our small intestine. It's all mainly in our large intestine. So it can back up into the small intestine and you feel it. There can be a lot of pain involved. There can be a lot of bloating. 
It can come with constipation and or diarrhea, food sensitivities, just a lot of really not so great things that happen in your gut. As far as candida, that would be an overgrowth of something that we all have in our guts. It's just this is a fungus that can overgrow quite easily in some people. And then again, you start feeling it digestively with bloating, weight gain, constipation, fatigue. There's a lot of symptoms that can go along with candida. You may be someone that's dealing with just a bacterial imbalance where you don't have enough good bacteria and or you have bad bacteria, pathogenic bacteria in your gut. There's a lot of different things that can go on in our guts, which I talked about in one of these past episodes. But regardless, first of all, you need to test to know. You have to test your gut health to know what's going on in your gut so that you know how to handle it and how to eradicate it. That's the first step. Second step Yes, keto is a great option. This would be my next thing to tell you to do. There's just specific foods that feed these pathogens. The way to heal pretty much all of these overgrowths is with a low-carb diet. Anywhere you go, any doctor you see will give you a protocol to be on if you have these overgrowths, and they will all be low-carb diets. So keto, obviously, is one of the lowest-carb diets out there, and is really great for this kind of thing and working on healing your gut in that regard specifically. We are taking out a lot of the foods that these pathogens can thrive on and increasing our fats, which they do not thrive on, which they do not feed off of. There is a little bit of research out there, I believe, that shows that candida albicans can feed off of ketones as well. However, I personally believe that in that process of you taking care of this overgrowth, it's not going to immediately just start using all of your ketones. It's still going to be looking for sugar. It's still going to be feeding off the little bit that you are giving it. It's not going to immediately start stealing all your ketones. And in that process, and this is really, really important, you are already actively working to eradicate it. So just doing a diet change isn't going to totally get rid of this stuff. We need to take it to the next level and do a specific protocol to eradicate these pathogenic overgrowths, whether that be SIBO, candida, bacterial infection, whatever it might be. There are specific protocols to go through that are beyond just diet. And so you're going to be doing that protocol while also starting to produce ketones. And obviously, your whole body is going to start using those ketones. So there's not really going to be that much left over for these guys anyways. And you're going to be working to eradicate them at the same time. So they're not going to stand a chance. Not to mention, we're also using ketosis to get rid of some of these crazy symptoms you're experiencing. I know a lot of us can relate to just feeling a lot less bloated, uh, getting your bowel movements normalized, getting your energy back, getting your sleep cycle back, all of these things when we do go keto. And these are all symptoms of having SIBO or having candida. These are all symptoms of that. So we're also working to reduce those so you can get back to normal life and start feeling a little better in the process. So all reasons why I think keto is absolutely great for anyone that is dealing with some sort of gut health issue. Now, keto specifically for healing the gut also an awesome thing. But the reason why is because our gut is going to heal when it is nice and ready and balanced and clear and everything's working appropriately. That's when we heal our gut. 
We cannot do it beforehand. We cannot do it if we're still having liver congestion and not breaking down our fats. We cannot do it if we still have SIBO or candida. We cannot do it if we still have low stomach acid. We have to get everything nice and balanced out first, which keto definitely helps with all of that. And then actually healing and sealing the gut lining, which is most people have heard of the term leaky gut. That's what we're trying to do here. That's the end game of all of this gut talk is you want to heal and seal your gut lining. In order for that to happen, we have everything nice and organized and ready to go in our gut. And the actual process of healing the gut lining is relatively simple. It has a three-day cell turnover in our guts, so it can happen very easily. It's more so all of that back work of getting your gut ready to be healed. And that's where keto comes in. Reducing your inflammation is going to be huge. Reducing your inflammation in, in your gut, getting your immune system in check within your whole body, but most of our immune system for our entire body is housed in our gut, getting that in check, which ketone production does as well. Reducing your stress, which having ketones flowing through our blood totally reduces our overall stress and promotes homeostasis in our body. We know the healing properties of ketones, and that can happen just as much in your gut as it can in the rest of your body. So we're good to go. I highly recommend it. Anybody that does have a gut health issue, I at minimum put them on a low-carb, high-fat diet, but hopefully also convince them to try keto because it really will be awesome. And I was even at a conference last year listening to Dr. Seebecker speak, who is hugely popular in the SIBO community, and she even said the ketogenic diet would be considered a SIBO protocol diet because of the lowered carbs. So there you go. It's not just me saying this. It's other people too. So go ahead, Stephanie. I say go all in with keto. Start working on that fatigue because that's just going to help you feel like a normal person again. And ketosis will do that. Get on a protocol for these things that you have going on in the gut while also introducing a ketogenic diet and you should be good to go. Okay. Next one's talking about exercise, which I may or may not get on a tangent about because I feel a little strongly about this, especially lately in this keto community. Giovanna asked, how much exercise is too much exercise? I work out every day, three times a week with weights, one time a week of yoga, and one day a week of active resting, which is either walking, biking, or something that involves movement. Right now, I'm doing the 30-day cleanse, which gives me about 1,350 calories per day. I know you'll tell me that I'm eating too little, and I will increase once I finish the cleanse. Am I working out too much for how much I'm currently eating? So there are a couple of things in here that pique my interest. The first is that the talk of this this 30-day cleanse. Now, I've seen other clients who have done this 30-day cleanse or are in the middle of this 30-day cleanse, and I just want to heed a warning. I don't think there's anything wrong with doing any sort of 30-day reset or whatever you might need to do. I do think it is very low calorie. That concerns me, and especially when I talk to women that aren't feeling well while doing the cleanse, that's not a good sign. And you shouldn't stick it out for 30 days if you don't feel good. You are definitely putting a big strain on your body by spending 30 days at 1,350 calories. That's not enough to sustain any of us or our bodily functions or whatever workouts we're doing. 
If you don't know what I'm talking about, there is a 30-day keto cleanse within the keto community that is going around, and I know a lot of people do it. And like I said, nothing against the person that wrote it or follows it or anything like that. I'm just saying this should be something that you should do with great precaution, taking into consideration how you feel, what you're looking to accomplish, how your health status currently is, what you have to heal, then decide if that's something that you should do. And for sure, no question, if you don't feel good, which it might be something as little as you're extra tired doing during this 30 days, please stop. Please stop. If you make it through the 30 days, remember that is 30 days for a reason. It is not forever for a reason. So you need to really bump up your calories after that. You need to make sure you're getting enough food. So do the 30 days, really bump it up. Get back to a nice, good, healthy, robust amount of food to nourish your body and fuel your body appropriately and work on whatever health issues you still have remaining. Now that I've gotten that out of the way, as far as Giovanna specifically, she wants to know how much to work out. And uh, this is something else that that stuck out to me with this question that I wanted to touch on that really doesn't have a whole lot to do with Giovanna's question. So just bear with me, Giovanna. But I do, it reminded me of something I really want to talk about, which is this very constant stream that I get about people asking women specifically why they are not losing weight, why they are gaining weight, they need to lose weight, 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 weight. There's a lot of talk about weight. However, in all of these conversations I'm having, there's very little talk about movement and workouts and getting stronger and lifting weights and building muscle. Those are way more important factors to consider and work on than just stepping on the scale and focusing on what you eat and stepping on the scale and changing what you eat and stepping on the scale and changing what you eat. Why don't we focus on becoming stronger, building more muscle, gaining more strength, moving our bodies more in ways besides just sitting and just focus on that and then see what happens to our year weight. You really can't even discuss weight loss or getting to a specific ideal body composition if we're not talking about working out. You've got to work out. We all have to work out. You all have to move. If you're not moving enough, do that before you start freaking out about your weight not changing. We've got to start incorporating more exercise and more movement. Of course, I work with a lot of women that overdo it on their workouts. And in Giovanna's case, she may be overdoing it a little bit, yes, because of how little she's eating during this cleanse. If she were eating the right amount of food, I think this looks like an awesome amount of workouts and it's also very balanced. She's getting a little bit of rest just by walking and whatever, but she's working on building actual lean muscle by doing three times a week of weight training. She's doing a HIT workout, which is great for working on your cardiovascular system, building up your heart and lungs and your endurance capability. So I think that's really great. And she's doing a yoga, which is awesome for your mind, body, soul, all of it. We all need to do that. I think what Giovanna is doing is great. I would rather her just eat more food and keep on her exercise routine. That would be my goal for Giovanna. Get off that keto cleanse, bump your calories up significantly, and you'll feel so much better even in those workouts. And you'll start seeing results. 
because you're actually fueling that. You're allowing your muscle to have the energy requirements that it needs so that it can grow and build and repair. That's when we start seeing definition and tone and strength improvements and maybe body composition changes. So this topic of working out is so important to me because obviously I am a personal trainer, but also because it is just amazing what it does for your body and your mind as well. Yes, you need to start building muscle in order to work on and build up your metabolism, but also when you work out, you feel so good mentally. You feel really happy, really proud of yourself. There just are actual endorphins that release when you work out that makes you feel just on top of the world. And that's really important too if you are someone that has been so focused on your body, so focused on your weight, really taking all of this to the next level to where it's stressing you out. Your workouts can be your stress relief and you will start seeing changes in your body. You will start seeing, it may not even be physical. Maybe you don't see your bicep yet, but you're noticing that the weight you did last week, you can do more weight this week. So you see these strength improvements that are just awesome, just phenomenal. I think that's really important too. Feeling empowered as a woman to be strong and capable and lift weights and put a bar on your back and do a squat. All of these things are so empowering to us as women and it's just as important as anything else we're doing with our diet is moving. Not to mention, which I've talked about in the past, just how important it is as we age to move. You have got to keep moving to keep your body, your muscles, your joints, your tendons lubricated and working efficiently. And I know this from experience. When I was a personal trainer, I trained senior citizens. And the amount of them that could not lift their arms up overhead because they have sat at a desk for so long or crouched over a computer or a book or something for so many years, they lost that capability. And it's heart-wrenching to see that. So I know this is a long ways off for a lot of people, but if you're listening and you're a woman and you are not working out regularly right now, please start. To that degree, if you are working out, but it's mainly with cardio, like on an elliptical or running or walking, please start picking up weights. Please start resistance training. Lift some weights. Get some at your house if that's the most comfortable thing, if that's the best option for you. Join a gym. Get a personal trainer and show them. have them show you the ropes. Have them show you around and give you some tools you can use to start building muscle. You can go to classes. Giovanna mentioned she goes to, um, to a body pump class do that. That's a great option too. If you are just starting out, I have a home workout strength building course that you can find on my website. This would be a really good option if you do want to work out at home or you're just learning. I show you how to do everything, all the proper form, when to do it, what days of the week, how many reps, how much weight. That would be a really good option for some of you too. If you are just looking at getting started with strength training. But please, let's put the weight talk aside for a little bit and let's start talking about our workouts. I would love to talk about that and how we can start incorporating that 
If you have not already listened to episode number four about working out while keto, please listen to that as well. That's really important. Even if you don't currently work out, go listen to that episode. It will motivate you to do so. Okay, that's my soapbox for the day. Done with rant. I hope we all take that very seriously. We'll try to get through a few more here. Moving on to this next one. This is from Angela, and I think this question is what a lot of women have. If they are not someone that had last week's question, they might have this week's question, which is, how do I eat more food when I'm not hungry? And last week, we talked about being too hungry. So good balance here. Hi there. Thank you for your podcast. I learned so much from you. I wanted to ask you a question about eating. I'm not someone who diets or believes in dieting, but I have a very low appetite and don't want to eat a lot of food. I'm wondering what to do. If I listen to my body, I eat according to my hunger, which is low, and I risk under eating. Now I eat two meals a day, a late breakfast and a late lunch around four, and don't want dinner. If I force myself to eat at night, I get bloated. I've generally been eating pretty low carb and possibly not getting enough calories. Though I'm healthy, my energy is on the low side. I could possibly have adrenal issues, but I haven't had it tested yet. I'm also concerned about my thyroid. I'm guessing that I should just commit to keto and eat more fat during my breakfast and lunch meals. I'm going to join the next Fat Burning Female Project, but in the meantime, I was wondering what you think I should do based on my lack of hunger. Thanks for your insight, Angela. Yeah, this is a big one, especially with keto. I hear this a lot. I'm just not hungry, so I'm not eating enough food because I'm not hungry. If you are not hungry because your meals are so big and have so much fat and you're going by all the guidelines we talked about at the beginning, you're just doing so in two meals, then great. That's awesome. Go right ahead. Keep up with that. And this does not sound like the case with Angela. It sounds more so like she's having two meals, but even her two meals are pretty small because she's just not hungry. And this could be a number of things. It could be that lowered metabolic state that we've talked about in the past and we talk about quite frequently here. That lowered metabolic state, if you are someone that really hasn't ever eaten enough food, then that is now your body's set point. And we need to work on building that back up. So it does take, and I hate to say this because I am someone that really believes in just listening to your body, as you all know, but it does take, unfortunately, eating a little bit more when you're not hungry. This might, for Angela, mean if she does a late breakfast and a late lunch, that would mean eating a little bit more at each meal and preferably in the fat category because the cool thing about adding more fat is it doesn't bulk up your plate as much so it doesn't feel like you're eating that much more food but it may also mean adding in either maybe a, even just a small snack at night or earlier in the morning or or adding a fatty coffee or tea in the morning or even at night before bed or fatty bone broth or something like that so you're getting more food that way and then you can slowly work up to that at being an actual meal But right now, you have to probably take the knowledge that part of intuitive eating is knowing that you need a certain amount of food as well. And so while you may not be hungry for it, you still know that your body needs it. And that's part of being intuitive because you want to be healthy. And what I have found a lot of people say is when they do this, once they start eating, it does actually taste good and they do enjoy the food and maybe their body did need it. It's just those hunger cues are off. And that could be another reason why Angela is experiencing this, which is those leptin and ghrelin hormone signals that we get 
that kind of tell us when to eat and when to stop, those could definitely be off too if you are someone who has chronically been under eating or for many other reasons, even just your sleep schedule is off or stress level. That's something to consider too. And that will also change as you start eating more food even when you're not totally fully hungry to eat. Those will start changing and you'll notice that suddenly if you start adding in that little thing in the morning, suddenly it becomes all a breakfast in the morning and you're hungry for it and it tastes really good and that's when this is all starting to come alive again. So for Angela and for anybody who does under eat, I would recommend sticking to those three meals a day at minimum, working your way up to doing what we talked about in the beginning as quickly as you can really try to get those serving sizes that we discussed in the beginning of this episode and you will really notice a big change. You really will. That metabolic rate will increase as you start giving your body more food. And what comes along with that is that you're no longer under eating. So you get the nourishment that your body needs and you can start, you know, healing some of these things that you have going on, which Angela mentioned her adrenal and thyroid. That's definitely going to take a hit. If you're not eating enough food, you will definitely have adrenal issues. You will definitely have thyroid issues. I see it in 100% of the clients I have that are under eating. It just, they go hand in hand. And you're experiencing low energy as it is. So that's already a sign that you have an imbalance happening. Your body does want more food. Your body does want more energy and more nutrients. That's all calories are, are energy. And you are already saying that you're low and you feel it. So let's boost that up. I promise you will start feeling hungry again. If you can just really work, make those three meals a day happen, it will make a change. The only other thing I will mention quickly is because she did say that she gets bloated at night when she eats. If you get bloated, then that's a sign of digestive dysfunction that's happening, obviously. And digestive dysfunction can also be a reason why you don't get hungry because you just have a much slower digestive rate. So you're not breaking down food as quickly as you should be. And it just makes you feel more full for a longer period of time. This is also something to work on. You can go back to listen to why women gain or can't lose weight. We talked about all the digestive reasons. You can look at adding in some enzymes or some betaine HCL for that, really working on your digestive capacity at the same time as eating more food. You will be spot on eating plenty of food in no time. That was a great question. I know we have a lot of women who are under eating right now and aren't feeling those hunger cues. And it is normal to be hungry. Even with keto, we really do want to feel hunger. We just don't want to feel crazy hungry. We just want to feel, oh, my body needs nutrients right now. I should probably have dinner. That's what we want. And that's what we're going for. To not feel hunger is really something that we need to work on and build up that metabolic capacity again. Last question here is a quick one, so I can get through it here before we head out. This is a question I actually got from three people. I only have two of the names. One was anonymous, but what recommendations would you have or any information for mixing keto with bariatric life? This is from Renee and Sherry. There are a lot of women listening who have had bariatric surgery. I talk to a lot of women in this realm in my private practice. And the cool thing about keto and this type of surgery is that, A, of course, it's amazing. It's going to be really, really awesome for you to be keto after this surgery and really before and during surgery too, if that's something that you are considering. But 
there's not really all that much that you need to change. Now, I know there are specific protein requirements that you do get from your doctor that need to be met, but besides that, all you're doing is really adding in tons of fat, which is, as I just mentioned, a cool thing because it doesn't bulk up your plate all that much. So you can add a lot more fat and be able to get in more nutrients and this fat intake that you need in order to be keto without really any ramifications as far as um, as far as your surgery and how much food you are now capable of eating. That's the really cool part. The only thing that would really change is that obviously your vegetable intake is probably going to be a little bit lower. Hopefully not. Hopefully you can still get them in and just work on finding the ones that you do best with that you can eat the most of. But also there is probably a chance that you will need to still eat smaller meals a little bit more frequently throughout the day. There is nothing wrong with that. That's completely fine if that's what works best for you, if that's what allows you to get the benefits of keto and bariatric surgery, then go for it. Do those smaller meals and just go about life. That should be great. I would imagine you're getting amazing benefits in both ways by having keto as this really awesome healing beneficial diet to go on after surgery and to sustain what surgery has done for you. So I think that's an amazing combo. So good for you, ladies. Now, of course, because this is a medical intervention, you do have a doctor that's monitoring your progress. It would be wise to make sure that they are in agreement with this and do think that keto would be good for you as well. So this is my general opinion and advice, but make sure you are getting your doctor's advice as well. Okay, I think that's all we're going to get to today. The next one I have, I want to talk a little bit longer about. So we will cut it here and pick up on more listener Q&As very soon. Thanks again so much for listening, everybody. And don't forget, if you do have questions you would like answered on an upcoming episode, email info at ketoforwomenshow.com. And I will see everyone next week. Make sure you share this with a friend if you know someone that might benefit. Thanks, everybody. Bye-bye. Hey lady, do you want to make sure that you are doing the ketogenic diet the right way for you? Do you want to make sure you're getting all of those amazing benefits that come with producing ketones and not putting any extra stress on your body? Then head to my website and check out the Fat Burning Female Project. We have a new class starting soon and I'd love to have you be a part of it. Head to bit.ly slash fatburningfemale that's B-I-T dot L-Y slash fat burning female and make sure to sign up to get a notification of when the next class will be. Can't wait to see you there.